Broadcasting from the Hair Saloon corporate offices, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. So this is a special bonus podcast I wanted to do in response to the new FX Hulu series, Mrs. America, which premiered last week and tells the story of how the 1970s Equal Rights Amendment was defeated, much to the dismay of feminists who were convinced that making the Constitution sex neutral would be good for women. Please join me in welcoming Phyllis Schlafly! They say that women are like tea bags. You don't know their strength until they get into hot water. We need to talk about the threat of the women's liberation movement. So let me be clear. I am not against women working outside the home. That's their choice. What I am against is a small elitist group putting down homemakers. They want to create a sex-neutral society, which will mean that women are going to find themselves with two full-time jobs. So you need to tell your senators you want them to vote no on this Equal Rights Amendment so we can have a country that we are proud to leave our daughters. So if any of you haven't seen that, that is a clip of Kate Blanchett playing Phyllis Schlafly, who happens to be my aunt. And it has been kind of a wild ride to watch this series or to begin watching it. And it has gotten um, tons of publicity. And if you follow me on Facebook, you've probably been seen how inundated I have been with um, posts <laughs> regarding this whole fiasco. And I have asked my friend Joy Pullman of The Federalist to join me today. And some of you will remember her from when I had her on last year to talk about her article, appropriately titled, The Feminist Life Script Has Made Many Women Miserable, Don't Let It Sucker You. I thought Joy would be a perfect person to have this conversation with me, not just about the Mrs. America drama, but also about what really happened with the ERA and how it helps explain the feminist culture we live in today. So welcome back, Joy. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm here because I'm basically a Phyllis Schlafly fangirl. (laughs) I have to tell everybody. You mentioned this and I was like, oh, please let me be on. I don't know what use I'll be, but it'll still be fun. (laughs) Oh, it'll be fun. And you are very useful. And so, so I have to say, Joy is a master of many things and she is um, a mother of five with another on the way. So I am bless her for taking the time to do this with me. I really, really appreciate it. I really didn't want anybody else. That's one of the reasons that I really actually admire Phyllis Schlafly because if she had six kids and yeah. could be amazing, maybe, maybe other people can too. Yeah. Well, so tell me how you even, what, what is your knowledge on, on her in general? Like before you and I knew each other, what was, what was the deal there? Well, I've been to a number of Eagle Forum events, and I've spoken at a couple of them. So I, you know, been, I was mostly introduced, kind of, I guess, that way. And actually, I would say that the biggest connection was I spent a number of years, especially um, when it was it, right before it popped into the national scene. I was one of the few reporters covering the Common Core issue, and at the time, it's actually interesting politically how it seems to be kind of like the Equal Rights Amendment in that. It was considered a bipartisan, overwhelmingly supported, sweeping the nation kind of thing, and until it suddenly wasn't. So Eagle Forum was one of the very few early 
organizations, especially grass, grassroots organizations, to take a second look at the bipartisan, you know, supposed nature mm. of that. And so then I got to, you know, and, but of course, just being a conservative woman, I've read a number of, you know, Phyllis's. So for example, um, especially when I was doing more consistent education reporting, um, you know, Eagle Forum puts out a publication, I think it's called the Education Reporter, mm-hmm. you know, so that um, has a lot of good information in it. So yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, as well as her, her kind of influence on the conservative movement. I've always been, I actually think of her as like an original tea partier, right? Yes, you know, yes. she's kind of has that vibe, you know, before it got that name. So I love that about her too. I feel a kinship with that. Yeah. She was definitely ahead of her time and she's, I'm likening her more and more to, to president Trump. Actually. <laughs> I think the two are really one <laughs> yeah. and the same. And I, I don't know if you knew that he came to her funeral. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And- I didn't, I think she's a little bit more classy. (laughs) Well, for sure. I mean, for sure. I'm talking just in terms of being a populist, really more than a committed, you know. Yeah. So it's it's been really interesting to sort of watch that parallel. But so one of the and and by the way, for folks who Joy mentioned Eagle Forum, and that was the organization that Phyllis started. And if you have not seen Mrs. America yet one thing that might you you might actually stop and go watch it and come back and listen to this podcast that might be a, an idea because it'll be a little bit more relevant to you because if you don't know who she is you will at least get some idea from the program and then come back and it might make more sense and then if you already do know her then maybe not but we are going to talk about that program and what they get right and wrong emphasis on wrong um as well as um as just Phyllis in general, because I think this has been really, this is really interesting for me because in all my life, I've never really had an opportunity to just sort of talk about this, this subject in any kind of, I mean, I mean, I might, maybe I wrote about her a couple of times, but I never have certainly talked about her um, in this format. So I wanted to do that. Uh, I thought this was a great opportunity. We're going to be watching this unfold for the next several weeks on Hulu. So I wanted to start out by telling people a little a little known fact about Phyllis that I think would surprise them. And that is that she was shy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) She was painfully shy actually. And I'm not so sure that she ever really got rid of that, which sounds shocking and crazy and like it makes no sense, but it makes sense to me because, and to people who know her, because so much of why I think she channeled her her energies in the direction that she did is because she was more comfortable in that business-like realm. You know, like the social, she wasn't a social person. She didn't go to parties. She, you didn't do lunch with her. She wasn't a personal person. She didn't have close friends on that level. She had a lot of friends through the work, but not, she's just not like most women, <laughs> I would say, or the average woman. So I think she channeled, you know, I mean, her biggest power really was her intellect, right? That was her greatest, greatest power. And she channeled that into her interests, which, which was politics. And that's just an interesting fun fact is that she's actually really shy. And, and if people look into her and then realize that afterwards, they'll, they'll find that a little surprising. It is true that also oh, tell me, I mean, because it's hard for me watching this series to know what is fact from fiction because I right. didn't know Phyllis personally. Right. So, I mean, it, I assume it is true, just given her profile, that she did all of those big public appearances, like the the show talk. You know, she went on the Phil Donahue show mm-hmm. in, in in the Hulu series. 
So you're so I assume you know she did have a profile like that, and you're saying even though she went out there under the big lights, right? She's still Which, a shy person. I don't know if you've ever heard actors talk about this, but I've heard many actors say yeah. this very same thing that they're actually really shy, or that they were shy growing yeah. up, or whatever, and this was an outlet for them. So I yeah, I think it was very much that way. Now this is just my assessment. I this is just my thoughts on knowing her. And I think her family, or at least her, her youngest daughter, whom I talk with regularly, would probably agree with that. And because that was her strength, and then she mixed that with her interest, you know, she took off. You know, it's like, that's that was her thing. And, and debating, let's just talk about debating for a minute, right? I mean, nobody could out-debate her. Her debating skills were phenomenal. Um, she was able to convince people with very sound arguments that were rooted in fact, as opposed to the scaremongering that feminists were engaging in. And of course they accused her of the same thing. They said she was scaring people on there, of course, but anyone who does their homework on it to just compare it and really study this and look at the difference between Phyllis and feminists. There's just a huge chasm there. I mean, feminists were just frothing at the mouth and angry and, and couldn't get control of themselves. And she was always very even keeled. And of course she had all the facts right in her pocket. Right. And I she, think that comes through really well in the series, actually. Yes. You know, I agree. You know, she, it's, it's very clear that she's intelligent, that she's very capable, um, you know, and that, that is her strength. And the interesting thing to me, you know, being a person living in 2020, looking at this 1972, 1973 debate is that, the things she, you know, people question her. Oh, you're ridiculous. It would never have these effects like mixed sex bathrooms, like women in foxholes. And I'm sitting there like, we have all that now. now. <laughs> she was totally not fear mongering. It was 100% on target. I know. And I wonder about those people when they put this. So let's shift over to the, we might as well just go right now to Mrs. America a little bit since we're talking about it. And you're right. There were a couple things that they got right. And that was one of them. But I think about the people, the producers behind this, did they not learn anything from this? Because how could they not see that same connection once they put the whole thing together? <laughs> Of what's happening I mean, today. Because the words are in her mouth as if they're supposed to be ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. But because they're actually happening, you're like, this actually isn't ridiculous. <laughs> I know. It's true. I know. Ugh. I know. And I just sit there and go, do you not see it? Just, oh my gosh. Crazy. I would say that the show not only got that right, what you just described, but also Kate Blanchett. I mean, it's just a phenomenal um replication of phyllis's look i mean i can't believe the physicality when she speaks in fact when she first started speaking when i watched the first show it was really freaky for me i mean it was that it was that dead on oh absolutely i mean not only does she look exactly like her with the costumes and the hair the hair they got down to a t but she really studied her inflections and her tone and her delivery and that is exactly what phyllis sounded like so let's start with something positive for them, right, shall we? They got that part yeah. down. Yeah. And I think you're right. Oh, they showed... I love her outfits, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dang, she, I don't know who her stylist is, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, a, I mean, of course the outfits are, you know, a little more Different. 70s than I might personally wear, but they look really good. They do. They do. She's so trim despite having mm-hmm. all those children. So I think that They're was really, that was very threatening. Like very classy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the physicality of Phyllis was very threatening for the other side. 
because they looked so different from her, really, most of them, except Gloria. Gloria's time is very beautiful, but a lot of them are really not attractive at all. Um, the ones that she I was. Think, I think the movie, like the series, tries to kind of make up for that by kind of making the housewife, Phyllis's housewife friends look, you know, a little sloppy and incompetent. <gasps> I'm so glad you said that because I thought the same thing. I thought there was only mm-hmm. one one woman in there that looked sort of like she could be someone today, you know, just more of a hip, yeah. hip sort of average whatever. But I thought they made them They're all so much dumber than my housewife friends and less <sighs> confident. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's exactly what I thought, Joy. I'm like, that's, of course, what they want it to be like. They want that. That's what they want to show is that if you are doing that work then clearly you've um, abdicated your brain, right? And you live mm-hmm. this dowdy life. You don't, you don't have fun sex. You don't have go to parties. You can't uh, commiserate about <laughs> anything progressive and, you know, intellectual and all the rest. And it's all just a big show. It's just, it's not even true. It's just the way that it's, that they're pitching it. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that um, I think is also really different between Phyllis and her and the other side, of course, is that Phyllis had a really great sense of humor. And she used to love to say that feminists have no sense of humor, which they don't. You know, it's so true. It's so true. I was thinking that about the juxtaposition between their party like lifestyle portray, which is, you know, probably fitting enough. But also like it's it's weird combination of puritanism and licentiousness, like excess. What a weird set of extremes that is in combination. So they went so for those of you who haven't seen it yet, I don't know if this will do you think this will ruin it if I sort of well, they Maybe do- just say spoiler alert and yes, then, you know, for alert. the next okay, good. 30 seconds or whatever. Right. You might want to forward through this part of the podcast then if you haven't seen it. But they they show Phyllis talking to Fred about feminists. And he said, well, no one likes feminists anyway. And she says, oh, right. They're no fun at all. And then, mm-hmm. they, and then they flip mm-hmm. right to showing Gloria, yep. you know, going to this, you know, nightclub or whatever. and Big giant fab party. Yeah, exactly. So definite. Again, definite message. If you're conservative, you are boring. You never go to the parties. You don't, you know, you're not intellectual. You're just living this boring life. And then if you're on the other side, of course, you're having all the fun. So that was very important um, juxtaposition for them. But anyway, but and then, of course, the the irony is it's the complete opposite. And so Phyllis was always very funny and um, not angry at all. And actually mm-hmm. was never mean or rude or held her, you know, she always held her tongue and was very cordial. And they couldn't, they they didn't do that. <laughs> So it was the opposite. Which makes them go crazier. That's something I have to learn because it's so effective. If you're just cheerful, it makes the angry people angrier. (laughs) I mean, it's... They can't handle it. They cannot handle it because they want to rattle you. And then, just to show her good humor, she'd always want to say, at the start of any event, I'd like to thank my husband, Fred, for letting me come Mm. tonight. Because it always makes the... She called them women's livers because it was called the women's liberation movement back then. Because it makes the livers so mad. And of course, it worked every time, and it was funny because it's a great tactic to kind of get them off on the wrong. Foot. I know, I know. And you have to wonder: did they really think that she had to get permission? Do they really believe that, or do they get the irony of it? Well, also to like, like to be fair, when I go out and do things, you know, then I'm leaving my husband at home with five kids. Yeah, you know, that's well, a lot sure, of work of course for she, him. So of it course. is. I am very grateful that he lets me put stress on him and the kids. You know, to. Have of course. fun, you know, what I consider fun times for myself on a trip by myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so probably one of the uh, most common observations made when Phyllis Schlafly's name comes up is that she's this contradiction. I, I want to explain this in the best way that I, that I know how, and then I'm going to read something that her daughter wrote in Fox News just the other day. 
basically what she was doing at the end of the day was standing up for the rights of women to be wives and mothers, traditional wives and mothers. She felt very strongly that they needed a voice and didn't have one if the ERA was going to be passed. So that's where her heart was. And then the fact that her life didn't look exactly like the traditional wife and mothers of that time, meaning you were fully doing that and nothing else for maybe 20 years. And she did it a little bit like moving in and out of the workforce as the needs of your children change. And maybe you were mm-hmm. home for a number mm-hmm. of years, you know, exclusively. And then you went part time and then maybe you traveled a little and then maybe yep. you didn't travel. It was just, it's just this piecemeal yep. kind of life, but neither yep. one of us have ever been employed. We have no, we don't accept a paycheck every two weeks. So we rely on our husband's paychecks to do what we do mm-hmm. because when you do activist work or writing and all of that, that's not yeah. something you can count on. Yeah. So she was an at-home mom, but she wasn't in the traditional sense of the women that she was defending. And so they kind of jumped on that and tried to make that a thing. Oh, sure. I remember people complaining that she had a housekeeper, and I'm like, dang, good for her. I need a housekeeper. Yeah. yeah, No, she had household help. There's no question about it. Um, And so, and they wanted to jump on that. And Well, anyway, let me read to you what her daughter Anne said the other day in Fox News relative to that. She said, um, some consider her, well, her mother, of course, a contradiction because she advocated publicly for the family and home during a time when some women in the public eye were campaigning for personal autonomy and self-centered professional advancement. But Phyllis saw that no one was publicly speaking for the majority of women, wives and mothers. So she spoke for these women who she knew valued and prioritized being wives and mothers. That's it. That's all she was doing. Um, and I don't think there's any contradiction between I, I, that and, I mean, it's like for, for all of history, women have done things on the side. Right. Or like, it, it, I mean, some women have literally run like, you know, cottage businesses or like so huge social charities that are basically the equivalent of having Absolutely. a corporate job. Absolutely. You know, that's totally right. a woman thing that we've always done alongside kids. I don't see any contradiction there. No. Now, like, for example, and I, when I try to explain this to people who didn't, you know, who don't study it enough or don't know enough about it, and I try to tell them to, you know, disseminate what they hear in the media or whatever, um, or what their moms told them, because this has been a, quite a while now, um, um, she was not an advocate, for example, of daycare. She would speak out very vociferously mm-hmm. about that, as have I. And she, now if she had put her kids in daycare, right, and mm-hmm. done that, then you'd have a problem, right? Yes. That's contradictory. So that's, that's the only way I can kind of explain it to people because the other side really globbed onto that and people believed it, you know? It's just, anyway, okay. I think actually what really irked them too was that Phyllis was their equal, in terms of, mm-hmm. she, despite being a wife and mother, so especially a mother of six, despite was, well, meaning sometimes meaning, I think because of any, well, I mean, being a, a wife and mother makes and pushes me to be so much better than I would be without oh, those two facets of my life. Precisely, which is I think is what was intimidating for them because she was mm-hmm. educated at fancy schools up east, just like they were, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And but she eschewed their values, and she proved that power mm-hmm. could come in a different form. And she, of course, was on the wrong side of the issue. So it's okay to be, you know, okay, go be smart, strong, and independent, just as long as you're really liberal. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, psychologically destabilizing to to the way that they think in their narrative. Like, they literally, 
it doesn't compute. Like it shouldn't, she shouldn't be possible for her Precisely. to be strong and really actually liberated and really doing what she wanted in both her home and social spheres. You know, that, Precisely. She, in fact, I think that comes through. It was really interesting to watch this series because it's like what a feminist would think of what Schlafly must be like. So there's all these little, you know, there's, there's, they're trying to like take her words and then make them hypocritical by showing all the time how she's held down and, and held back by sexism. Like yes. she's this big, stupid idiot yep. who can't see all of the sexism and who's, you know, it's, anyway. No, that's uh, okay. You know, who, and who was just like a dupe of the patriarchy, but it's impossible to, to like, ju- like ha- hold that idea at the same time as, but she's also really intelligent plus a woman and women are always right. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And so what she's, what Joy is talking about is that there's these two scenes in particular where the creators of this show, Mrs. America, tried to show or want to show that Phyllis Schlafly is a victim of her own oppression and just doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. And one is mm-hmm. when she's being asked to, she's trying to get, well, they phrase it as she's trying to get involved with the big wigs in politics with the men and goes up to DC and she's not taken seriously and asked to type, which by the way, didn't happen. Thank you very much. Um, I figured that didn't happen. No, it did not happen. And you're welcome to ask me when we're it's, basically, it's somewhere. She's supposed which, to be in, yeah. She thinks she's contributing to a policy discussion and they ask her to basically be the secretary and take notes. Yeah. Let's just back up for a minute and say nobody would do that because first of all, (laughs) the moment she enters the room, she commands the room, whether you're male or female. And in fact, that part where it showed, I really laughed with the guy, um, I forget his name, but at the beginning where he's sort of touching her. Oh yeah. She's like smacks his hand away. Yeah. But even prior to her smacking his hand away, I, the reason I was laughing from my end and I was watching it with my cousin Anne, her youngest daughter, it's just, we were just laughing because nobody would even try to touch her in a way like that. Like there was no <laughs> possible flirting with Phyllis Schlafly. Nothing about her read, come flirt with me. Nothing. Yeah. She was all business. And so it, it, it was just comical to see her put into, it was almost like what I said to Anne was, it looks like they've taken somebody from one era and plucked her into pop culture the way we would do it, think about it today with today, like some uh, drama we'd see today and how it would go. But they're mm-hmm. plucking this person who doesn't belong in that environment into it. And it just looks so funny to us. But other people wouldn't necessarily know that. Maybe they think she did flirt, you know, or did use her well, wiles to get. About, she, she seems to be really insecure. And that doesn't seem to like fit with what I know about her capabilities. I mean, does, does it seem like she's portrayed as insecure, right? Like, Absolutely. so there's her husband, like, undercutting her subtly here and there, and it kind of takes yep. the wind out of her sails. And I'm like, no, you know, never. again, this this is people just making it up because they cannot believe that a woman with six kids who is very obviously intelligent can say, I love being a wife and mother. Bam. It's okay to do this. That's it. You got it, Joy. That's it. That's, that is what they're dealing with. They cannot make sense of it. So they have to make her different than what she really is to make their point that this isn't possible, that you can't be Mm -hmm. now in fairness to them. There aren't many Phyllis's in the world. You know, I mean, she is very unusual. I mean, extremely unusual. So nobody can really relate to her intellect or her lifestyle. It's just not like most of us choose to live, 
And so they don't know what to do with her. Is, is You're right. But so going back to those two um, scenes. So one was the asking her to trying to show that she was just being treated like a secretary. And so she gives up uh-huh. on her political aspirations because she, quote unquote, can't make it in a man's world, which is bullshit. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. she goes home and just decides, oh, well, I'll just try this other method to get power because they're showing her as very power hungry, which is not her motivation, which is another thing I wanted to point out is the difference between feminists motivation for why they do what they do, which I think is really interesting Mm. and Phyllis's Mm -hmm. and because they're power hungry, they just assume that somebody else who's doing what she's doing must also be power hungry. Mm -hmm. When in fact her motives were much more altruistic in terms of she really was concerned with the betterment of people's lives and the betterment of the country. Right. So it was passion for, you know, what's best for the country and what's best for this particular group of women that she was defending. It's true that she did have a big ego. Even Anne writes about that. I'll quote that in that same Fox article that I did before she wrote. um, She stood in the line of social fire because she believed in her causes and believed that God gave her a purpose and a mission for her life. She wanted her life to matter and she wanted to make a difference. Also, and this is important for understanding her, Phyllis loved the fights and the battles. Mm. She loved every moment of the spotlight. Yes, she had an enormous ego and very little humility. But she also <laughs> but she also earned her own attention. She was never a victim That's and she true. believed that feminism taught women to be victims. Okay. I think where people struggled with her, I wanted to acknowledge the areas where people struggled with her. And one of them, the most obvious, of course, is that she orchestrated the defeat of the ERA. And that's the biggest reason they were mad at her, obviously. <laughs> but her personality oh, was... That's such a feminist caricature too, right? We hate her because she's successful. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> right, right. But she was successful. They're doing the, old, the same thing that they complain about, you know? And I want to go back to this real quickly and just tell everybody, I want you to explain what the er is era was slash is because they're still trying to pass it and why you or any smart person should be against it we're going to come back to that in a minute just to make sure we've said exactly what the era is before this show is over her personality you know it was different you know she definitely did not admit openly any weaknesses or any hard difficult truths about things so for example when she was asked by phil donahue about being home with six kids and how that must have been really difficult and really trying which of course you're in the thick of it now so so imagine this (laughs) she would not concede that at all all she would say is oh it was nothing but delight i had a lovely time it was the greatest thing (laughs) and i think and i think that's a really that well actually that would frustrate me to be honest with you growing up because i'm the complete opposite and i believe in telling the unadulterated truth so that people know what they're getting into. Plus I'm just crazy, crazy, honest, too honest, probably. And I would never sugarcoat anything, but that's what she did. You know, she would sugarcoat it. I think that was frustrating for people because they didn't feel like she was real. Like, like just tell Mm. the truth, just say that it sucks sometimes, you know, so that they could relate. And because she couldn't and wouldn't do that, nobody ever related to her. And I think that was Mm. her biggest um, Achilles heel. Interesting. Yeah, that's my take on it. I think if she had been more relatable, um, she might have had an easier time. Of course, she'd still struggle because she was doing the wrong thing, you know, according to the other side. But anyway, so so that's that's that. Um, Do you think some of that came from knowing how that it would be used to attack her, or I mean, some maybe part of that was just her personality, but it maybe that part of her personality was amplified 
by the fact that if you ever admit any weakness as a conservative woman, because I like I complain about my kids and being pregnant all the time. And I've had people say to me, like, aren't you pro-life? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not killing this baby that's driving me nuts. OK, <laughs> people you know, will say so, that's interesting. They'll come back with, oh, the, yeah, you, pro -life? Know, so, so, okay. people, you know, oh, oh, you're supposed to always like love your kids and every moment is precious. Oh, and I'm like, well, maybe for you. But so I'm wondering if, you know, if, she, if and she is in a you know, much harsher spotlight, even I wonder if she was kind of, you know, may, maybe that was amplifying, you know, that part of her that didn't want to admit any flaws. And it made it, you know, stronger reason for I don't know if, if, if you saw you know any of that, like if she's going to be attacked there, she's not going to give an inch. Um, that's probably true. But the reality is she was like that in her personal life as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she wouldn't just do that to a reporter, but also to family I mean, she would friends. doubly not do it to a reporter. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right that yeah. she would be, her, her antenna would be up and she would not give them an inch. Yeah. You're absolutely right yeah. about that. But the truth is, in her real life, behind the scenes, she was just the same way. And it was very frustrating for my mother because my mother was nothing like that. And she... You know, you couldn't, you couldn't get in there. You know what I mean? You couldn't get down, yeah. couldn't get down and dirty. That's just not who she was. And my mother was uh -huh. somebody who could get down and dirty and did. She'll tell you that. In fact, if you read the book, the biography of her, and you go to the section on my mom, there was a whole chapter on my mom and my family. And um, she, oh, that must the, have been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very strange. I think I was twelve when that came out. And um, the section that was the things that my mom would say. The, the interviewer, the biographer actually noted that, wow, this is something that would never come out of Phyllis's mouth because <laughs> she would <laughs> she would say the complete opposite. Like, um, have you ever been around a two and a three year old? You might as well try and right. reason with the family dog. <laughs> I mean, that's the way my mom talked. So yeah. complete opposite personalities. Um, and so that was hard for her because, yeah. Anyway, so so no, the answer to your question is she was, that's pretty much how she was all the time. But you're probably right. She certainly wasn't going to give them an inch. Okay, let's back up a little bit and just just say what is the ERA, Joy? Can you explain it to people and why you don't, why you're anti-ERA and why everybody else should be against it? <laughs> it is almost a one sentence amendment to the U.S. Constitution that says equality of rights under the law shall not be abridged on account of sex. Um, and then it gives, you know, Congress whatever powers it needs to enforce the law. And that doesn't sound like it ought to be, <laughs> you know, that problematic. And, and that is how Phyllis made, made it controversial, you know, was by pointing out that something that seems very simple has huge ramifications. I mean, the first thing for me is that, I mean, the Constitution already secures equal rights and equal protection under the law to every American citizen. That's in the 14th Amendment, you know. Yeah. And I mean, and so every single, I mean, and, and it doesn't specify any of the rights in the Constitution. They're not divided according to sex, mm -hmm. you know. Every single American gets all of them. There's, anyway, there's, it's kind of like, what problem is this amendment seeking to solve? So, but the, so the point of that being that if, if we already all have equal rights, well, then why would, you know, why do we need something else that claim? And the reason for that is to get erasing the distinctions between men and women being made something that's part of the Constitution. So something that seems very innocuous when you put it in the hands of lawyers in courts becomes basically a weapon. I, she was, I, I was watching an old, Phyllis was, you know, on 
Phil Donahue for a whole hour, and she was up at the center and and sort of debating with him, and then there, he was taking questions from the audience, and he asks this, uh, well, one older woman stood up. Um, she looked like she was in her 80s, and she said she was against it, and, and he was asking her why, and she said, she asked Phil Donahue, well, what is it, what rights do I not have right now that uh-huh. I can't get uh-huh. right now that this would give me? He literally could not answer. He just was completely stumped right. and couldn't answer. And so he had to turn around and ask a different question. It was really striking. And you would think so That's funny because to me, the, the amendment is basically a Trojan horse for a bunch of social agendas that are not precise, popular. Precisely. And of course, he was a big lefty, so he wanted it. But I, yeah. I just find it so funny that when you're stumped like that, that that wouldn't cause you to rethink. I just think that's really interesting. <laughs> I, I'm too optimistic. I can't too... name one single benefit of <laughs> altering the Constitution this way. Okay, so why would we do this again? <laughs> well, you know, they argued that it was just about putting women into that into the Constitution, and that should just be there so that it's fair and reasonable and logical, and it sounds so innocuous. And then Phyllis comes along and says, "Hey, it seems as innocuous, but it's not, and here's why," which you just described. Mm-hmm. So. The main creator is Davi Waller. It's very obvious they have a mission, right, an agenda, and they are obviously on one side of it. And in fact, they would want ERA to be resurrected, which is still getting attempted periodically. Here, this is a quote from Davi Waller, the creator of Mrs. America. Phyllis Schlafly believed she was exceptional, that everything... I love how she says she knows what she believed. But anyway, that everything she achieved was by virtue of her being incredibly brilliant and industrious. <laughs> she very conveniently ignored all the ways in which the women's movement, I love this, allowed her to move forward. And she equally ignored all the ways in which the patriarchal system held her back. Mm. End quote. That's the creator of the Mrs. America series. The same gal who in other interviews insisted that this, that they wanted to learn and show both sides. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I will say, I will say they are showing the, the feminist side more than I um, thought that they would in, in full display, at least so far in the first couple of episodes. Yeah. Like there was an, ep- there was a part where um, Gloria was talking to someone and she said, let's not call it abortion rights. Cause we need a more pal- yep. palatable word. Yep. And they came up with reproductive rights and what that really encompasses. Yep. And I thought I'm pretty impressed that the producers put that in oh, there. And then there's them talking in their office about, Oh, we're mostly lesbians, but don't tell anybody that yet. <laughs> oh, I missed that. I missed that somehow. Um, yeah. So, so it's interesting to me because they clearly must understand wh- their own side uh, they mean the creators and the producers of this, of this series. And yet they're holding on to this thing that they believe, even with all the evidence, I think, that it's not necessary and that they researched Schlafly and uh, Phyllis and looked into all this stuff and yet um, are convinced that despite her being brilliant and industrious, there's no way she could have gotten that life without feminism. There's just no way. Right. So even if, though feminism like was an elitist, well, it still is an elitist thing, you know, but it's gone more mainstream. Like even though feminism hadn't achieved almost any of its goals no. at the point at which she was doing her activism. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. when she had, and which she had already gotten her master's degree from Radcliffe and from which yeah. she had already, you know, written these books. I was really very funny. And of course, I've had that leveled at me many times. You're only the way you are. You know, you're only a success because of feminism. It's one of my favorite things. I'll just tell them I'm only the way I am because of my husband (laughs) and my dad. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. That's a great comeback. Love it. 
that leads into what Michelle Malkin said and when she wrote a scathing thing against Mrs. America and pointed out that the creators did not talk to any of the family members and they you know pretended that they wanted to do that for good reasons when in fact it wasn't for good reasons at all so she writes with the couple both deceased and family members unable to defend their marriage of 44 years nobody and nothing stood in the way of Blanchett and company disseminating a cunning lie crafted to cast conservative women as abused captives with no independent mm-hmm. agency behind closed doors and mm-hmm. so and that goes to what we were saying about Davi Waller, the creator, who believes that she couldn't possibly be who she is with yeah. that. And so, so they have to make it so that she's a product of her own oppression. So one of the worst ways that they did that, which was really upsetting, obviously, to family members, is showing Fred forcing himself upon Phyllis in the bedroom. And that got a lot of play with the reviews and they call it, you know, having sex, quote unquote, against her will. But I saw it a little differently. I saw it. I did too, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Having I, read the reviews, yeah. I was expecting, you know, it yeah. to be like a rapey scene. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, tired wife being like, well, whatevs. Yeah. <laughs> Which that was like. Except. Have it, any of the people who are reviewing this, are they, are they married? I know. They've never had sex tired? Well, you're oh, not supposed to have okay. sex when you don't want it. If you don't want it 100% and you're not initiating it, then you're, then you're being raped, essentially. So that's why there's that's this. Ridiculous. There's this sort of pall hanging over it. But here's what yeah. I saw. Here's what I saw. At first, I thought that. I thought, oh, yeah, it's like, whatever. I mean, who hasn't been in that boat? She, but like, actually, she wasn't resisting. It, she was just like, honey, I'm tired right now. And he's like, smooch, smooch, smooch. Okay. Agree. <laughs> I totally agree. But it was a little worse than that, Joy, because if you look really carefully at the very onset, she wanted to go take her contacts out. Yeah. And he, well, doesn't, that's true. And he doesn't let her. And so, yeah. I mean, because he wants it right this very second, not after and the contacts. And her eyes yeah. are hurting. So she's, so think of it like she, she's in pain, right? Supposedly, like she yeah. wants to get this out. And then she turns around. And you see this, they made her have this look on her face of, I want to say, um, contempt or something. Hmm. Like, it wasn't just, oh, whatever. It was like, God damn it, I have to do this again. Like, that's what I got from it. Okay. So I think that's I part and parcel. I have a hard time reading, like, yeah. Kate Blanchett's, and I mean, <laughs> and again, I don't have personal experience with Phyllis, so I can't tell how close it is to her or not, but like, I have a very hard time reading the emotions that are supposed to be passing over her face. You know, I, I know that there's a lot well, of times when I'm like, I know she's trying to convey something right now, but I have no idea. What well, it is. and of course, and this is just my moment. It's just a take. I'm not, I can't say it as that's yeah, exactly yeah. what they were intending, but that's what I got from it. And I think yeah. it's part and parcel of what we were talking about before in showing the difference between, well, conservatives are boring and they don't know how to have good sex. And then they flipped mm-hmm. right away to Gloria Steinem having this great fun, right? Right, right. So I think it was Even though, part like, and statistically speaking, you know, married women get, you know, knock boots more, uh, I know, more frequently I know. and right. more satisfyingly, I know. I you know, know, than random hookups, yep. uh, you know, well, well proven in social science. Well proven. And um, validated by my own experience. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Absolutely agreed. So that's one piece of it is wanting to show yeah. that she couldn't possibly be a sec- success on her own. She's just oppressed and doesn't know it and she won't admit it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, woe is her or whatever. And then the, another depiction of her that I think is a really significant component to it is that she appears very cold and calculating. 
even that scene where she's looking at the housewives sitting around her own kitchen table and uh-huh. she stands uh-huh. back it, they're making it look like she's conniving. Like she's trying to figure out yes. what to do with these people, what, how she like can she make them work she knows that she's her. clearly superior and she needs these yes. peons to form yes. her little army. Yes. Yeah. Now here's the disconnect. Well, first of all, so that's not at all how she was. And so the whole, yeah. the whole depiction of her as power hungry and conniving is absolutely 100% false. That's just not who she is or was, excuse me. Well, if she were power hungry and conniving, she would have been acting like that sleazy congressman, you know, and doing deals. But like, if you've ever read her stuff, like choice, not an echo being a Goldwater supporter is not the way to get ahead in the Republican party, you know, right? like attacking Republicans all the time for being stupid cowards, which is basically her whole career. Right. You know, I know not the way to get, if you're power hungry and conniving, like you act way more like Jeb Bush. And <laughs> that's good. Um, and I'm going to read again something that her daughter wrote in actually your paper, The Federalist. This wasn't from the Fox mm-hmm. News piece, but she also wrote in The Federalist. Um, or maybe it was an interview. I'm not sure. But anyway, she plays her as she, meaning um, Kate Blanchett. She right. plays her. She's talking about her mom here as a cold, calculating, power hungry woman. My mother led a volunteer group of women. And I don't think she mm-hmm. could lead volunteer women unless she was warm and inspiring. And she was. She was encouraging. She got women to do things. And you can't do it if you bark and order it around, order them around. You do it by building up leadership. And that's what she did. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a good way of explaining it. Because, of course, that's right. There's just no way you're going to get people to work for free by ordering them around, you know, and being. Especially women. Like women are, are motivated by their hearts. Yeah. You know. You're, anyway, it just, you, you can make you can do authority way better with men than you can with women. But if you have like an army of housewives, anyway, they're they're not going to be motivated to follow a calculating cold ice queen. No, not at all. Um, they also showed her as jealous. I got I got that out of it, and I can't remember the specific scene. Oh, yes, I do. Um, Where the f- woman from it's Oklahoma calls her up and wants her Rolodex. Yes. And she basically had done exactly what Phyllis had led them to do. And they showed her as being disappointed by that because she did what she asked her to do or whatever. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, so there's a jealous component. So it's jealous, conniving, cold, calculating. None of these words. I mean, there are a lot of words I could use for Phyllis and none of those would make the list. <laughs> okay. And then in Salon, a writer, a reviewer, well, of course, a big lefty because, you know, they all are. Uh, Mrs. America depicts how time and again, Phyllis is relegated to a supporting role to men with political and professional ambition, particularly her husband, Fred, and how she willingly accepts that position in order to be the public face of the anti-feminist stop ERA movement. Um, I'm sorry. It's just hysterical. I mean, the idea of, it's so hard for me because I'm in a position of knowing her, for real, like, yeah. you know, around the dining room table. So it's so hard for me to read all of these reviews when they all got the same thing out of it, which means clearly uh-huh. they were sending a message. If that many people got that mm-hmm. from it, I mean, true, they're biased. So they're coming at it already, you know, expecting a certain thing, but still, and and to be so, so terribly wrong about their assessment is, is worrisome only, which is why I wrote in my piece about it, that 
I think it's really well done, actually. I think the cast is great. I think the acting's great. I think the music, that beginning, the opening is so fun. I was act- It's actually kind of riveting the in a way. The pacing and the staging are really yeah. professional. And I said yeah. in my piece, that's the problem. Because the better it is, the more damage it can mm-hmm. do when the messaging is bad. When the messaging is false, fraudulent, you know? Like, you'd be better off having a really crappy cast that, and it didn't go anywhere because nobody did it well. But if the better you do it, the worse it will be on that end. Um, I don't know though, because honestly, you know, so I'm watching there and I'm expecting, you know, to, I'm expecting all the little things about like all the little subtle put downs about how she doesn't have any power because the patriarchy keeps her down and the insecurity and the coldness and all of that. But still, while I'm sitting there, you know, I, and I often have like a very strong attraction to the single childless life. <laughs> you oh, know, oh yeah. Me, Let's, you know? In fact, that's a good point, Joy. So, but I'm watching it and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to just the different things that the different sides are saying. And I'm like, I still think the house, the housewives are more compelling. Like I would rather have their loaf of bread and, you know, and hug the baby than be somebody screaming out there about abortion. Could I mean, I obviously more. I'm a conservative, but I, I mean, it, the, I, even through the lens that they have, I, I weirdly think, and one of my colleagues at the Federalist actually wrote about this today, Inez, um, Inez Stepman, she, you know, she, she kind of pointed out, and I think she's, she's right that like, even through the distortions, I think the Schlafly side is more attractive. Well, I mean, and then not only because I, you know, agree with their message, but they have more of a message. They have, they have more of like, it is more of a comprehensive and holistic and warm-hearted message. And it's not about basically taking personal grievances and trying to make a federal case out of them, which is really what the feminist side seems. And that's their entire thing. Yeah. And I do think that that's why she won in the end, because I do think that if you, mm. if you can reason with people with facts over and over and over and over again, which is essentially what happened. And you have these other harpies on the other end doing their thing. You know, eventually, well, in this case, uh, you know, you you win with reason and facts. Yeah. Okay. So you said something about (laughs) your, your, (laughs) you just referred to being single and childless. And I realized that I did not open with what I wanted to open with about you. So I'm going to, I'm going to end instead talking about you, which I meant to tell people. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I had mentioned the title of the article, The Feminist Life Script Has Made Many Women Miserable, Don't Let It Sucker You, that you wrote and that I had you come on last year to talk about. But I wanted to read a paragraph from that and let you talk about yourself and and, and who you are in this respect, because I think it's important. So you wrote, Our culture is so saturated with feminism that even conservatives and devoutly religious people like me think inside its wheel ruts. This wouldn't be a problem, except that feminism is antithetical to human flourishing, and it has a false view of human nature. Yes, it requires humility to consider whether your presuppositions and behavior are wrong, but what you may lose in feminist scorekeeping, you reap a hundredfold in a richly happy life. How do I know? It happened to me. So now I want you to tell people your story, Joey. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh... I mean, so, I mean, I still, you know, especially the, the, especially when I'm pregnant and especially when I am shut up in quarantine with uh, six children, four of whom are supposed to be in school. (laughs) Um, You know, you have those moments where you're like, what if I really had done birth control, right? (laughs) 
I could be drinking a latte right now in front of my computer, my nice quiet house, you know. I think your um, story of transitioning is very interesting. I want you to tell people who you were before you had kids and what your plan was and how it got changed. I'm pausing here because like, I don't think of myself as a particularly warm and affectionate person, but my kids find it somewhere. So it's got to be in there. Maybe they add it. I don't know. You know, so and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go, you know, go be some career woman or whatever. And so, but I happened to, and I fell in love on the way there. I fell in love and I married this guy who wanted kids. Well, he sure got that. I <laughs> guess <laughs> he did. Uh, so I, you know, reluctantly, un- unwillingly, not unwillingly, like in this ridiculous movie scene, but like, I did not want to have kids. And here we are. All of the like lies that you hear about that begin to fall apart when they touch reality, which the, and the thing that's really sad to me about that is that if I kept believing the lies, the f- things feminism tells you, I would have been bereft of all the most important things in life. So I think like the arguments that Phyllis had to make to a culture, I I think they're, it's watching this actually gives me a lot more hope because she was like her whole culture was against her at the time that she was trying to make this argument. And it's still very, and I feel like that all the time, you know, when every time you're like, Oh, you will be happy if you get married and have kids, you know, somebody somewhere, you know, thinks you're being a ridiculous nag and a scold but, like, they just have no idea because they don't have any experience. Right. So, like, watching what Phyllis was able to do with a bunch of, you know, little moms holding their babies in one arm, you know, with typewriters and telephones is really encouraging to me, especially, you know, on, on the, like, the family in the, the family front, the things that I care about most about raising kids and having happy homes. It feels nowadays like it's such a lost cause. But yeah. it was such a lost cause for her, too. Yeah. Um, so if, if she can do what she did with, you know, all of the little people around their kitchen tables who didn't have glossy magazines and television access and whatever, then that suggests it might. There's always hope, you know, for people like me who believe, you know, that narrative and have even and have their minds framed in that way. Sometimes we can be surprised by reality. Uh, very much <laughs> if so. you get lucky enough to get a baby or find a man who's who loves you did you find when you were watching it that the more things change the more they stay the same yeah well i also found it really interesting because again like I, I all the time i'm like oh if i could just sit here and drink my coffee for 10 minutes without an interruption <laughs> you know exactly people who do that for their life are lonely and there's always trade-offs anyway the trade-offs of having the kids and the interruptions you get so much more that way than the feminist life. I think one of the best things she did at one point is try to explain her position. I think it was again with Phil Donahue is, is to have your life. And of course I've argued this forever for 20 years is to have it sequentially that yes, you can have it all, but not all at once. Mm -hmm. And that to embrace these different seasons in a woman's life so that she wasn't saying you have to do it this exact way. She was saying, make sure you don't say basically she and I, in this respect, absolutely argue the same thing in our respective career lives or whatever, which is don't tell young women to focus exclusively on this education career at the expense of this other ultimately more important thing, which most Mm -hmm. women will want to do eventually and pretend like your body is going to work the way you want it to work down the line on your timetable. So those are lies. Those are things that are not helpful at all. It's not the same thing as telling them to do the reverse of that 
where you right. just there's there's a huge happy medium and it's really very simple and it really shouldn't be up for debate or so cause for controversy. Well, in fact, that's one of the reasons that I personally find Phyllis so inspiring because, you know, I'm at the point at which like the kids are the huge haul. And I think like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get to writing another book again? You know, and you're like, well, if, you know, and again, I don't expect to be Phyllis Schlafly. She wasn't in the baby stage, you know, when she was able to gear up and and use Mm -hmm. her life for this other important thing. And so you're like, you know, it feels like it's going to be forever while they're really little, but really it's not that far away. And so, you know, anyway, so it's kind of like watching any other or reading a biography, you know, learning about people's lives really is helpful for kind of evaluating your own and developing your patience, your, your strength of character. And like you said, being like, you know, I I don't have to have it all right now. Mm -hmm. I can wait, you know, we can give the baby an extra hug and not be like, wow, you're in the way. Right. Exactly. And that's any, well, that's one of the most distasteful things about feminism is it says the babies are in the way. Right. Oh, oh, unquestionably. Know? And, and unquestionably. Because you look at a baby and you love the baby. I know. <laughs> well, they're not maternal and they've got, well, that, I didn't get into this too much and we need to wrap up. But um, initially, remember when I was talking about the difference between Phyllis's motivations and feminism's. Yes. So I talked about yes. Phyllis's motivations, you know, being, you know, you know, really believing this is what's best for the country and then wanting to support this group of women, the wives and mothers who yeah. did, weren't getting a voice. But um, anyone who studies the background of feminists, the leaders now I'm talking about, the ones who are really big, they all have very, very dysfunctional, um, yeah. unhealthy yeah. backgrounds, upbringings, really broken relationships with their often opposite sex parents. So their dad, or they grew up with a mom who hated the dad or somebody left or somebody was an alcoholic or whatever, just something really unhealthy. And they just simply turned that into a social cause and they did it openly. It wasn't a secret. They said the personal is political. They loved that slogan. And that still happens now. And it still happens now. Every time I read some article about, you know, some, though there, I mean, there's some sociologist, you know, the right that thinks there should be the end of family or whatever. And then you read the long article and you're like, Oh my gosh, she was abused as a child, you know, and, and, you know, there's boyfriends and out of her life. You're like, well, no wonder jeepers. No wonder. And so that, that, yeah, so their motivations. And in fact, this is really interesting again, kind of a spoiler alert. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, the part about Gloria Steinem's abortion, which is very public knowledge now, so much so that she wrote a book and div- um, did the acknowledgments or the, uh, what do you call it? Dedication? Yes, thank you. Dedication. She dedicated it to her abortion doctor. I don't oh, know if Lord. you knew that. Yeah. Who no. told her um, to, that she had to promise him two things. One, to never tell anybody his name. And two, that she'll go and do whatever she wants with her life. And so the whole movement and everything well, to, to, that she's doing to this day, I imagine, to is justify. to make up and justify for, for this abortion. Oh. So interestingly enough, they showed this in the, I don't know if you've got, maybe that was in the third part. I don't think I got, I got to, to the part where she and, was comforting the woman who asked for her signature. This might Maybe, be an episode so three. So it might be an episode three. Yeah. And so I thought that was actually pretty, again, pretty impressive that they are showing that other side yeah. um, in such a way. I don't know what their motivation is for that, showing that side. But anyway, it's clear that the the motivations for what they want to do socially in society are personal. 
It's about mm-hmm. taking your personal pain and instead of dealing yeah. with it dead on, it's I'm going to make the whole of society alter itself to accommodate my pain. And then you have somebody to like also, Phyllis on the complete opposite. not to heal opposite. the pain or to recover from the pain, you know, or to work through the pain, but to like validate the continual existence or perpetuation of the pain. Exactly. Bam. That's it. Yep. So you're mired in victimhood your whole life. And then along comes yeah. their opposing person, Phyllis, who's who's had her own hard life for different reasons, but didn't take mm-hmm. that route. And that's maddening. Yeah. It's just maddening. You know, when you want, yeah. you know, misery loves company. And if you're not going to be miserable yeah. with me, then I'm not interested, you know? So well, and also, I mean, and if someone like her show, I mean, shows that it, it is not a given that you have to wallow as a victim forever. If you can have bad things happen to you and transcend them and come to peace about them and accept them, well, that means that you don't have to sit there and be like an angry, broken crusader demanding everyone come join you in the pit. If you can get out of the pit, it means it's possible. And that reflects badly on the people who are still in the pit. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I'm going to close now with the last paragraph that I wrote for the Washington Examiner about Mrs. America. In fact, that's the irony of Phyllis Schlafly, also known as Mrs. America. No matter what you think of her personally, her greatest legacy is that she actually did empower women by insisting that women are not victims. She would repeatedly say, and Fort rightly believed, that women can do whatever they set their minds to, that nothing and no one is holding them back from whatever it is they want to think or do. No one, that is, except feminists. When you got married, things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneBanker.com. So you said you wanted to ask me some things about what was true or not true about Phyllis that you couldn't tell from, you know, your vantage point in Mrs. America. Do you have anything you want to ask about that? First of all, I would love to know, like, what her fashion sense was like, if it's well, I mean, I I know this is a frivolous question, but I am curious. I love her wardrobe. Yeah. And she looks really well put together. And yeah, so uh, how accurate is that? And second of all, I think her husband comes off really poorly in the series. And I don't know anything about him. But like, I mean, so for I I know that, you know, I can't do anything I, you know, that I do without a wonderful husband. Everybody, you know, he, they all know him in relation to me, but that's because I have a public job, but he's smarter than me and better than me as a person. Tell me more about Fred. So those two things I'm curious about. 
the answer to the first question is the wardrobe that you're seeing is accurate. That what you're seeing is exactly how she dressed. That's what I mean by they really got the physicality of Phyllis down. The dress, the hair. Oh, yes. She was that way every day, even on Sunday. There was no, I mean, you're lucky if you saw her with her shoes off. So (laughs) she was, like I said, all business all the time. Um, She did take her shoes off. She did. I've seen her in, in stocking feet plenty of times, but, um, but maybe not so much in those days. Maybe that was only when she was older. I couldn't agree more about her husband. And I think her family probably doesn't like the way that he's portrayed there either, especially because, well, at least some reviewers referring to him as seemingly insecure with her quote unquote success or power, you know, feminist Mm -hmm. love to assume that that's how all men are. And of course that's a complete lie the the average guy the average good husband is very very proud of their wives if they are successful in some domain um Mm -hmm. and they want to support them and absolutely fred did and actually fred took more than just putting up with it so to speak he was actually extremely proud of it he was yeah he was honored actually he used to be called mr phyllis there's a chapter in the biography (laughs) where he's called mr phyllis and he takes that with great stride and isn't proud of it, completely proud of it. Now, he was a successful lawyer in his own right. So when you talk about that kind of imbalance today, which I write a lot about on today's modern relationships, which is very problematic, um, where the women are rising above the men and, and, mm-hmm. and they're the breadwinners and the men aren't working, mm-hmm. that's, that's a whole different ball of wax. But if the husband's successful in his own right, there's not going to be any yeah. issue with his wife being successful in her own right. They were very, very, Because it's very, an equal partnership. They're very equal. They were very much equal partners. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, um, you know, family-wise. I mean, they just were on the same page pretty much about everything. I mean, they were kind of weirdly on the same page. If you really want to study back to their courtship, it was an odd... It's not the way you and I would have dated. I mean, <laughs> and, and even on their honeymoon, they, like, took all these big tomes to read on the honeymoon. I mean, they're just, they're just very, they're just very intellectual. They were very intellectual people and that was what was fun for them. So, but they were matched. I mean, it's not not how I live my life, but they were matched, right? He was not at all insecure or unsupportive of him whatsoever, her, excuse me, whatsoever. And they were very well matched. So whatever, I'm not sure what you're getting exactly from him on the show, but I don't, he seems like kind of uh, like he just doesn't care about her. And, the, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he puts up with her, you know, and it's kind of nothing. That's like not that. how a it woman was, really wants to be treated. And it, anyway, it just couldn't. How be. could they live for 44 years no. together doing all of that and, and have it no. be the way it's portrayed? No. Yeah. So not even remotely close to the truth. Nope. I'd say I'd say the relationship between her and Fred and the depicting her as conniving and mm-hmm. jealous is probably the two biggest grave errors that just could not be more false i mean Mm -hmm. they just they just ran with whatever was in their head and thought would make for good drama so it's hard it's hard to watch that especially more for the children yeah you know the kid the family members to see that you know it's it's very surreal to watch um i have to say watching it is just from our end it's just like the kitchen for example is i mean they got it down to a t that is exactly what it looked like right to that blue tile on the wall Really? Yes. How did they know that? Well, there are enough pictures. I asked Anne that, her youngest. Pictures. She wasn't sure yeah. entirely either, but there are enough pictures. Their source was Carol Felsenthal. She was actually paid to give the information to the writers. 
what's her relation she's, to the family? She no relation to the family. She was a biographer. Oh. She did her biography. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so she had a lot of information on the inside. So I guess she gave, maybe she, I don't know whether she gave details about the kitchen or gave him pictures. I don't know, but they got them somehow. And, um, that room in her office was almost exactly to the T. So it was very unnerving to see it. It's very yeah. weird. And to have my cousins walking around there and they're saying Andy, Ann, and you know, the Willie, the maid was there and you know, it was just very weird from my end. That's about it. Anything else? That's pretty much the ones that I had so far. Okay. That kind of wraps up our analysis of Mrs. America and the story of the ERA and Phyllis Schlafly. So I hope everybody feels a little more enlightened on the matter and and that we didn't ruin too much of the show for you. If you're going to watch it again, it's on Hulu. And I think you have to, that's something you have to get. My daughter had it. So we piggyback off of that on Wednesdays. And I thank you so much, Joy, for taking the time to come in and talk about it. It's been great fun. Oh, no problem. Good to talk with you. You too. I'll talk to you soon. And that ends this special edition of the Suzanne Benker Show. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to continue the conversation on Facebook, where we've set up a private group that you can join. Just type in the Suzanne Benker Show in the Facebook search bar and you'll find it. And if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.